Hattie JFC, glad you're here today. Uh, on your seat, you'll find the notes. If you grab those, you can follow along with me uh, as I teach this. While you do that, let me take a moment and welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock, uh, Lakewood, all of our campuses, and even those that will end up listening to this remotely at another time and another place. We want you all to know that we welcome you, and we are glad you're a part of the greater JFC family. Um, this will be the final message in our brief series, Always and Forever, talking about marriage. And uh, even though it's the last message in the series, certainly what we've tried to communicate during this time is that um, we're here to help you. Our heart, our hope, our idea is not to just teach these things, tag your it, and then leave you, but it's that if you need someone to take it a step further, if you just say, hey, I, I would like to learn more about this, or um, I, I see that we need a little more help than what we're able to do by ourselves, then by all means, we, we want to provide that for you. So you would contact us, uh, two ways to do it, either call the offices, and uh, when you get a hold of the person at the office, you just say to them that Pastor John had mentioned the availability of help when it comes to our marriage, and we'll put you in contact with the right people, or uh, the website, jfc.org, and you could go about it that way. And uh, we, honestly, we'd love to help you if you need help, so make sure to take us up on the offer. Uh, in talking about always and forever, let me just give you a brief description. We're doing this on the seasons of marriage. Now, I know you might listen to that and say to yourself, okay, so seasons like spring, summer, winter, fall, you know, sort of the ages or maybe the age of the person that's involved in it. No, um, while I think that that would probably make a pretty good series, that's not what we're doing. We're talking about uh, common denominators with seasons, that there are just certain seasons that any marriage is going to go through. For, for instance, the very first week that I spoke, I, I spoke about the, the season of getting unstuck, and then Pastor Terry's ministered in this, and uh, as we just round this out, each of us have covered that idea that there are just different seasons. doesn't matter who you are, how long or how short you've been married. These are seasons that you're going to go through in marriage. Ecclesiastes uh, is what we've used for our text through this. And so Ecclesiastes 3.1, written by Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon uh, begins the chapter this way. Everything has a season. There is a time for every purpose under heaven. So for everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. The word everything and every makes it all-inclusive, and that includes marriage. So marriages have times and seasons that they go through. I just spoke prophetically this thought that because God is the one who creates seasons, the Bible says he sets kings up and he takes them down and he orders seasons. I felt prophetically when we began this series, prophetically I was to proclaim over our church, over the people in my jurisdiction, that word. That prophetically, it is a new season. That prophetically, God wants to do a new thing in your marriage. And I didn't have the sense that the new thing was something to be dreaded. For some of us, change is such a difficult thing. We think to myself, I just got into a good place and now God's going to change it. That's not what I'm prophesying and that's not what I'm speaking. I'm speaking to you that God is bringing a new season and it's a good thing that's going to happen that he's doing inside of us. So here's where I'm going to jump and finish our series with today. Uh, I'm going to talk about the season of transitions. The season of transitions. So again, let me, let me just define this. I recognize that as we teach this, we're going to teach a lot of people who aren't married. 
But let me show you something really interesting so that you, you kind of get a picture. How many of you are married? Raise your hand real quick. All right, this is the majority, by far the majority of the people we deal with in our church. Now, we don't go, okay, what's the majority need to hear? We never teach that way. We always pray, let the Holy Spirit direct us in what we're doing. But we know our audience, and we know that there are a lot of people who are right in the middle of this in their life, and it's going to be beneficial. But I'll say again, let's say that you're not married. If you want to be married, learn this now. I made mention the very first week that I taught of this thought, it takes more studying to get a driver's license than it does to get a marriage license. And yet we put more time, effort, and energy into things that are so, uh, so less important than compared to marriage. Marriage is going to affect everything in your life. It's going to affect your spiritual life. It's going to affect your emotional life. It's going to affect your physical life. Therefore, how important is it to know about marriage, to learn about marriage, to do it the right way? And so really, that's what the idea is uh, in this. It's learning how to handle these things, how to take care of things, how to be on top of them. So we're going to talk about a season of transitions today. And here's what I put in your notes. Number one, see if you can agree with this. Change happens. Change does happen. You, uh, nobody, no, the Bible never says you have to like change. But change does happen. And here's what I know. The longer we live, the more change happens. I think there's a cliche that says the more things change, the more things stay the same. I don't, I, I've never experienced that. I don't know who said that. It was probably somebody who did not live in our day and in our age. Because it seems to me the more things change, the more they change. And change <laughs> does happen. It's, it's crazy how much change is happening just in the time that we live in. But spiritually speaking, change does happen. Here's why. Change happens because people change. When I first got married, I got married as a, as a much younger man. I was, I was 19 years old when I got married. Now I'm 48. The, the emotional need from 19 to 48, Chris, it's a little different, huh? It's just a little different. The, the, physical, uh, the physical issue, what's the, what's the saying? By, by, by the time you start getting up around 50, you get chest and drawer disease. It's when your chest falls into your drawers and you can't, you can't. <laughs> that never happened to me, though. Still managed to, what are you whispering? Don't whisper, think that I'm not 50. Oh, so when I am 50, it'll happen to me. Praise, you're the one that'll have to see it, so be careful what you're wishing for. Okay, so change, change happens. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, the first part of the verse, um, he, God, changes the times and the seasons. So the Bible tells us directly that God does change the times and seasons, and because of that, that's why I write change happens. God does change things from time to time. There is change that happens. If change does happen, if people do change, then yes or no, this is wisdom. We, instead of spending our time trying to prevent change from happening, maybe we should spend our time trying to figure out how to change and stay ahead of the curve when things happen. How do I handle it? What should it look like? What does God want me to do? So I put down in your notes, anticipating change. Here's a thought. There are a couple things that I do really well. And there's not many. But there are a couple of things I do really well. Here they are. Look at this. I hire and develop really talented people. And everyone who works for me says, Amen. Yes, 
I do that well. I recognized a long time ago, I've, I've got a couple of unique gifts that are mine. They're, they're the thing that God gave me that I give to this church. But there are only a couple of them, and the church is so large, there are so many needs, that the only way we can possibly facilitate ministering to people is to bring in people who have the giftings that I don't have. So when I hire men, I look for talented people who then can raise up talented people. Here's the truth. I never hire someone to do ministry. I hire people who can then train people to do ministry. Anybody who comes in here and doesn't get that never lasts long inside of our church because they get burnt out. The need is so great that if they come in and go, okay, I'm going to handle all of this, and they never think I'm going to raise other people up, they will be so miserable. They'll be so unhappy. Their spouse will be so unhappy. And the trick, the key, the area, learn to raise people up. So I hire and develop really talented people. Number two, this is a gift that I felt like God has given me, and I do this pretty well. I stay in front of change. There was a prophetic word that God gave to me years ago when we started the church, and this was the word, lay track. And what that meant, God, we're always praying for God's blessing. You ever pray for that? You want that? Here's a thought. When we pray for that, we need to recognize what we're praying for. Because if you're praying, God, send me your blessing. But you never prepare to handle God's blessing. God can't answer your prayer. Because the blessing will kill you. Or here's really what will happen. The blessing will come, but you're not prepared for it. So it'll waste the blessing. You'll never even know the blessing came. So what does that mean in practicality? Okay, here, here was what the word meant when it came to laying track. If I don't prepare ahead of time... For God to send his blessing, he can't send his blessing because we have no mechanism whereby we can support his blessing. In this case, I pray, God, send us people. How do I lay track then to handle people? Well, I've got to think in terms of what people are we going to hire? Most of the people that we hired along the way, we didn't have the money for in the bank at the time. So I, I know that one of our board members is, is listening to me right now. He could testify that in the past 14 years of JFC, when we hired people, we had to do it at times by faith. I would have to go. Gary, is it, is it not true? I would have to go to the board, and I would have to say to our board, here's, here's the scenario. We need, to, we need to prepare. We believe God is doing this. We need to prepare by bringing this person in right here. But there are two things. Number one, God hasn't sent the people for this. And because he hasn't sent the people, the money's not here to pay for it. But do you guys believe that I've heard from God? And that if we put this person in place, we're preparing so that God can send yeah. the people. And every time we've had to move like that. Now, here's the, here's the deal. If you hear from God, it works. If you don't hear from God, it's a disaster. <laughs> it's really bad. The more you do that and you've heard from God, you develop a track record in it. The only reason that's important is because I'm going to connect the analogy of being able to hear from God ahead of time in your marriage so that you do the things that are necessary for God to send his blessing. Does that make sense? So if I could teach you that, I think it would be really good for you. So, so here's what I do. I stay in front of change and I try to do that even to this day. I'll give you a great illustration of it. I put Dan DeMay and Bob Ofield. This, this may be new news uh, for many of you if you hear this right now, but recently one of the, the issues of staying out in front of change came in the form of having to talk to these two people. And here's what it was. Uh, the day-to-day -day operation of JFC, it's a church of about 3,000 people on a regular basis, 
And then we deal with approximately another five to 800 people who are not here on a regular basis. And that is, it's, it's a fairly large church. And the day-to-day -day operation, here's what we did. There are really two models for how people do church. The first model, and it's not a wrong model, it's just a different model, is the all-in-one. And that's where a church just tries to be self-contained in one. They build bigger buildings to have a service in one place. Everything they do is based on the one. And the people who are out there, they don't care how far they drive. They just expect, if you want to go to church here, drive 45 minutes, drive an hour, whatever it is. Okay, some people are willing to do that. There's nothing wrong with the model. It's got its pros and it's got its cons. But here's another way, and it's the one that we do. We, we do campus models in that we look where are our people driving from because here's what we believe. If you have to drive more than 20 minutes, it makes it really difficult to get involved in the church in a discipleship process. You'll go and you'll hear a message and maybe the message blesses you and maybe you enjoy the church, but you probably aren't involved in relationship. You probably don't have really depth. And what does God want from us? Just to go and hear a message or should there be depth? Should there be relationship inside the church? So, well, we think that there should be relationship. Well, here's what it, it requires then. We've got to raise up leadership all the time. We've got to duplicate ourselves. And so as we duplicate, we have four churches that we administrate. But you hear me when I begin the message every time. Let me welcome our other campuses. So we've got one in Lakewood. We've got one in Castle Rock. We have one in Highlands Ranch. We have the one here at Lone Tree. And then we, we've got plans. To, I want to put one in Parker. That's the, I've, I've aimed for Parker three times in a row. <laughs> but the arrows had a bend in it. And it would get curved or God would knock it. An angel would redirect it. I don't know what happened. So when I say we're going to do Parker, before Jesus comes back, <laughs> I think we'll get one in Parker. We may not. I don't know. So the, the, the issue is we've, we've got four churches, which, which I love our model. It's required more people to be involved. It's required me giving away the authority. Here's what's really interesting. When I took sabbatical this year, what I found is that our methodology has made it where I, the church isn't built on me. While I'm a necessary ingredient for it and I hold the vision for it, the church is not built on John. People in this church see other people as their pastor. Yep. And is that okay with you, pastor? Yep, you better believe it is. Because really, for a lot of you, the, the title is what we have. The hands-on day-to-day that DJ and Dan and Evan and Marcus are doing is completely different than what I'm doing. I'm hands-on with our 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 executive team leadership, the people that are directing. But as far as the hands-on day-to-day, imagine, how would, I, how would I go and eat with 3,000 people on a regular basis? If I did one a day, I, it would take me three years, wouldn't it? Only to start the process, so it can't even be done that way. All right, so listen to then the thought. As the church has grown and we've added those campuses and we want to add more, from time to time, I have to restructure, and one of the restructurings came in that I recognized I'm doing a really bad job on the day-to-day -day administration, and I'm not a good administrator. I'm a good vision guy. I'm a good motivator, but I'm not a good administrator. So what to do? I think one of the best administrators that we have in this church is Dan DeMay. Amen. He's a great pastor. Dan's got a lot of natural giftings. What did I say I do? I hire people who are really gifted. So I went to Dan, and I said, Dan, um, this is probably the fourth time I've had to do this with Dan since he went to work here. 
I've, I've changed. Dan said to wear multiple hats. That, that's what it requires if you, if you work here. So I went to Dan and I said, Dan, here's, here's the plan. I need you to step away from your campus and I need you to become um, an executive. I need you to become my executive. I need you to be a senior associate. I need you, I want to put you in a position where you're over all the campuses and Dan, you administrate the day-to-day operation of this church. Would you and Kim be willing to step away from your campus that you've built and you've put your heart and your soul and your, your steam into? Would you come and would you do this? This is where you're required right now. Dan and Kim prayed about it and they came back to me and they, here's what they said. We came here to serve you and if that's where you need us, number one, we'll do it. But number two, they felt that God was doing this and, and the truth of the matter is I didn't have anybody else I could think of that this position could even go to. It had to be Pastor Dan. I just, I just knew it. So Dan has agreed to do that, and we're in the process of facilitating that. And then what do we do about his campus? Well, Bob Oldfield was Dan's right-hand man there, and it was just, it was unnatural. We just looked at that, and we talked and prayed about a couple of different things in that, but this is what God was doing. So I go to Bob, and before I even got the words out of my mouth, I said, Bob, we're thinking about making a change here with Dan, and we think that you would be a great replacement. And I was about to say, so I want you to go home and get Gabe and pray about it. Bob goes, I'll do it. <laughs> yes or no? That's Yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, well, let me tell you what it is first, because it doesn't pay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Did we discuss that? Okay. So here's, so Bob was so excited. And then here's the deal. I believe, and I say this without any fear that Dan takes it the wrong way. Here's what I believe. Dan is going to prosper. Kim is going to go to a new, they're going to do so well in their new position. But Highlands Ranch is going to now grow in a way that it never could have before. Bob's got this great anointing on his life. He's going to take over there, and the staff is so excited. The church is so excited. What a, what a great way. Okay, Pastor, why are you doing that? Because in order to have another campus. I need someone to come in and administrate right now what's going on. Pastor Evan is our our most recent uh, pastor that we've put inside of a new campus. I honestly have been there one time. How, How dangerous is that, A, to not have the connection? So one of Dan's jobs is that on a weekly basis, he's with On a weekly basis, he spends one day a week at each campus with each pastor. And then on the weekend, he's visiting all the services. Something that I can't, I can't be here teaching and then go do that. This allows me now to do this, then to start a new campus, and we've got someone, a couple who's able to administrate what we have right now. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. It's just, yes. So, all right, all right, if you can agree, just listen. I get excited about it, I recognize. Listen, my heart and soul is into this. But so let me just, let me just point this to you because I think maybe this makes sense to you and this is where I would, I would make the leap, build the bridge and, and get you to join on with me. If what I said makes sense to you in the natural, if you go, yes, yes, of course it works that way. Yes, I can see. Okay, now you can grow. Now you can facilitate. Now God can send. Okay, look, get this idea right here. If it's true in the natural, then and I'm taking a spiritual principle to apply it. Isn't it true that we can take the same spiritual principle and apply it in the spirit in our marriages? Why not get a vision for your marriage? Pastor Nate, why not have a 
vision of what God wants to do so that you knew who's the next, who's the next person? What's the next thing? What's the next desire that God has for? What do I need to do next? That's the, th- what do I need to do next? Ask God to give you a vision for your marriage. Yes. Good. Don't you think that God wants to do, don't you think that God has a vision for your marriage? I, I am telling you beyond a shadow of a doubt, God has a plan. Jesse, he has a plan for your marriage. You and Laura aren't just out there accidentally. God brought the two of you together. He's got a purpose for you. He wants to fulfill great things through you and then pass it on to your children so the next generation has it. How many people are visionless in their marriage? They're just drift, they're just hanging, surviving. Why not have a vision for maybe the most important thing that you can do in this life other than serve Christ? Man, I just, I am stuck on that. Romans 4, 17. Paul writes to the Roman church, God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Here's what I like about that right there. This is our example of how we're to approach life. We are supposed to be giving life to what is dead and calling what is not yet there into existence. That's what it means to have a vision for your marriage. If it is not surviving and thriving, begin to speak to it. This is not God's will. This is not God's purpose. My marriage is supposed to succeed and do well. And then call what doesn't exist as though it did. What do you want to have happen in your marriage? Why are we good at pointing out what's wrong rather than talking about what's right? Why do we sit there and criticize rather than prophesy? Think about it. Why is it so much easier to do that? I wrote down, see if you can get this. Once you see what it should look like, call it out every chance you get. Get a vision for your marriage and then begin to speak it all the time. I'll give you something. This is something that the Lord spoke to me about. You may disagree with this. You may not like it. You may love it. I don't know, but I'm going to say it anyway. Look at this. In every man, there is a king and a fool that exists. Listen, lady, I'm going to tell you something. The one you appeal to is the one that will answer. It is doggone truth. It is truth that it can kill or heal. It can blow up or build up. You get to decide, and the truth of the matter is, every man has a king and a fool, and the one you talk to is the one that will respond to you. So when you say, I, my husband, you just don't know, Pastor, because you, if, if you had this guy to deal with, you would not be able to stand up there and say the things you say about vision and say the things you say about purpose and God wants to do great things. This guy, he could care less. Stop it. Begin to speak. Call what isn't as though it were. Get a vision. Listen, you don't just, you don't just get a wish, you get a vision. Get a word from God. How do I do that? Well, I'll get there, but ask. Ask God. The one that you speak to is the one that will answer. If you talk to him like a fool, you'll get a fool. Think about it. Here's the one that I worried about. (laughs) And every woman is a queen or a controller. Thank you, lady. (laughs) 
Thank God a woman said that. Of course, no man is foolish enough to say, there may be a fool in him, but he's not that foolish. In every woman, there's a queen and a controller. Treat her like the one you want to live with. Treat her like the one you want to live with. Some people disagree with me theologically on the statement I'm about to make. Some people get it. Some people don't get it. Um, it's not a necessity to salvation, but I think it's an important issue when it comes to marriage. Let me just describe to you uh, something that Genesis tells us that we live with today. Part of the fall of man is that the man and the woman's relationship was changed forever. Or I should say, it was changed while we live in this life. Uh, it will change again in eternity, but for right now, we live under this curse. The man has to work by the sweat of his brow. Do you remember? Yep. He has to work by the sweat of his brow. That's, that's the way that it is. He toils all the day of his life. And what that simply means is, is that life's not easy. Anybody agree with that? Yep. If you're trying to move forward and you're trying to do great things for God, and you're, you, even if you have a good life, it doesn't come easy, does it? It's hard. It's just the resistance that we live with now. The woman fell under the curse of pain in childbirth. And then it says, your desire will be towards your husband, he will rule over you. That's what it says. The natural order of the marriage relationship between the man and the woman before the fall was exact equality. After the fall, God presents the man in a different way to the woman. He becomes your head, and your desire will be towards him, towards him, to him, and he will rule over you. That's what it says. So, now, you don't like, you say, well, that, this is 2012. I've just done this long enough to tell you people are the same today as they were then. Human nature is, it be what it be. So let's say it this way. Inside of the woman then, is this issue where she desires. God has put in her a desire to follow her husband. Not men, her husband. A desire to come underneath. But the curse is, you have this desire, but there's this fight to control that. And women want to control that issue. And it causes major problems in a marriage when it's not brought under submission. Isn't that the word? Did you hear me? Okay, what in this case do you do about that? Okay, so for every woman there's a queen or a controller, treat her like the one you want to live with. I believe that's where a man needs to have a vision for his marriage. Begin to call out of her queen begin to move towards the issue of how do you bless your wife how do you support how do you prefer how do you love her when a man goes submit 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 he's already on the wrong path i believe god puts in the heart of the woman the desire to submit if the man leads men tend to think okay i'm going to lead and it's some macho rah, 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 rah. that's not Lead her by loving her like Christ loves you. Get a vision for your marriage. Change happens. Two, 
I put down what and when. Again, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes these words, Ecclesiastes 8.5, be smart and learn what to do and when to do it. Be smart, learn what to do and when to do it. Boy, how important, every pastor in here, how important are those two things? What to do and when to do it. What to do and when to do it. It speaks of timing, speaks of wisdom, it speaks of a lot of things. Here, here's a thought, you can know what to do, but if you don't know when to do it, it doesn't help you, does it? And you can have the opportunity to do something, present it to you, but if you don't know what to do, then the timing doesn't help you. Only when the two things come together is their power. Is that a way to say it? Yeah. All right, now, I, I, I pointed this out a long time ago. I use it again today because I think it makes a lot of sense. See if this is, this is any thought. Conception requires these two issues to work in perfect symmetry. For a woman to conceive follow me. You've got to know what to do. Don't be embarrassed. Something like, I, if I admit that, what does it mean? It means, <laughs> means that you'll have a kid. I, you know. <laughs> Conception requires these two things. You've got to know what to do. How about this? You've got to know when to, a woman can only conceive a couple of days a month. Knowing what to do if conception pregnancy, if fruit, listen, is the desired end, you've got to know what to do and when to do it in order to see fruit happen in your life. Correct? Okay, spiritually speaking, it's the exact same truth. You've got to know what to do and when to do it. I wrote down this, wisdom in marriage is critically important. Do you agree with that? Wisdom in marriage is critically important. There are two ways we get wisdom. I talked about this the first week. Mentors and mistakes. mistakes. Very good. Mentors and mistakes. Wisdom in marriage is critically important. There are two ways we get wisdom. Mentors and mistakes. Here's how you get wisdom. James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, read this with me. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Boy, there's a precondition on asking, isn't there? Ask in faith and no doubting. If any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. This goes back to the idea of a vision for your marriage. How do you get a vision? Ask God. How do you know what to do? Ask God. Who the Bible says give liber God loves to give you wisdom. God is not holding wisdom like a carrot on a stick, dangling it. He's, God has wisdom for you. And every time you talk to him, God wants to impart wisdom into your life. Yeah. He wants to talk to you about your children. He wants to talk to you about your business. He wants to talk to you about your school. He wants to talk to you about everything, including your marriage. God has a plan for your marriage. God wants to talk to you. And when you hear from God, you now have wisdom. You have the ability to go out and to apply what he's told you. Here's a thought. Investing in wisdom now is cheaper than divorce later. Colby, I consider you to be a wise man. So check me out on this and tell these people if I'm telling the truth right now. I'll read it again. Investing in wisdom now is much cheaper than a divorce later. Is that true? True. Every class we offer... If you're in a position where you need wisdom, jump in. There's an ongoing class that we offer on marriage. 
If you need help, you need wisdom, jump in. When we teach a series like this, man, I, if, if you need wisdom in your marriage, here, we provide it for you. All you have to do is download it. Listen to it. Listen to it with your spouse and then figure out how can we do these things. It may require you take the hand of your spouse, pray together. God, give us wisdom. Pray in front of her. I want my marriage to be the greatest marriage on the planet. Investing in wisdom now is cheaper than divorce later. Last but not least, what got you here will not get you there. If people do change, if change does happen, then this simply makes sense. What got you here won't get you there. Ephesians 5.25, what familiar scripture to us, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I put this down as an important point. Giving myself up for Chris has been the goal for 30 years. This is the truth. Giving myself up for her, laying my life down for her, that's the goal for 30 years. But here is then a way to dissect it. How I do that has changed as her needs have changed. When we were 19, there were just specific things she needed me to do as a husband then. At 48, there are specific things she needs me to do now. One of the needs that we have right now, we look at security going into a part of our lives where things will change. She needs me to be thinking about that and providing for that. How do I make sure that our kids are taken care of, but that we're okay? At 19, I couldn't even afford to think about that. <laughs> but at 48, I can't do anything but think about that. Do you see? Then how I lay down my life for my wife changes because our needs have changed. She's changed. What I needed from her when we were 19 is completely different than what I need from her now. Some things are the same. I need my wife to support me, to encourage. No one encourages me like my wife. But what she encourages me about, how she encourages me changes because I've changed. My willingness then, her willingness, our willingness to meet each other's needs is all predicated on understanding. This is wisdom. Wisdom is things change. I've got to stay in front of the change. I don't get mad because it's changed. I don't find somebody else because it's changed. I don't go, hey, we got married and this is the way you said it was going to be. Now we're up here and ch people change. Put, just go, people change. What got us here won't get us there. I've got to figure out how to be successful now and it's going to change again in the future. Just think that, man, when it's all said and done, it all just boils down to loving the other person, wanting to give your life up for the other person, going, I, I made a commitment, and my commitment was not just simply, I'm going to be here. The commitment was, if you marry me, I'm going to bless you. How many husbands want to bless their wives? I hope every man would. How many wives want to bless their husband? Come on. That's how we do that. God, just take the attitude. That's what has to be a given in a marriage. It's going to change. I've got to learn. I've got to invest. I've got to, I've got to stay out in front. Hold on to it. Does that make, yeah. does make any sense? Just feel like, boy, that's, that's the issue. And I would encourage. I, I think sometimes, you know, I teach these things that people tend to go, Pastor John's, they're way up here and we're here. I, I've shared the reality of where we have come from.
And it's an uncomfortable issue when I talk about our struggles. No one, no one likes to open up and reveal all the struggles. But our marriage has not been this. We have come from here. And it's come up to here, but only as, only as these things have been practiced in our lives. The struggles we've come through. The, the power of the gospel, again, this is, I never read this. This is something God told me. The power of the gospel is not that it changes your past, but it can alter your future. That's the power of the gospel. Just can't erase the mistakes, but I can go towards the vision. I can go towards the vision. Hmm. So I sit here right now, I'm going to close this. I always ask the Holy Spirit when I come to the end of a message, what's your direction right now? I never want to come to the end of it and just go, okay, let's pray and we're done. You know, I, here's what I, I believe, that God sits at the ready to, to get involved now in our lives. That it's his desire that after that's taught, that any heart that goes, I want that, God wants to, he wants to come in and meet you right there. So if you sit here and you go, I, I, want, I want a new season in my marriage. It, and that's not a criticism that you dislike the one that you're in right now. But if you're saying, I want God to do a new thing inside of us. I want him to take us to a new level physically, a new level emotionally, a new level spiritually. That's the prophetic word that I think that God wants to do. He wants to bring a new season to you. And if you sit here and you heard this message and you go, I need a vision for my, mess, for my marriage, then I think that God, he wants to come in and give you a vision. Do you believe that? That if you ask him without wavering, without doubt, that God wants to impart this wisdom to you. So, and I, I, I so believe that. But then it's, do you believe that? Do you want that? So how do I impart that? All right, I, I just feel like I would first, for all of my campus pastors... I release all of you when you stand in front of your people to close this message out. Redirect in any way you think works best for your campus. Speak to what you think is the best way to facilitate this. But I think for us to ask this morning for God to give vision to marriages and for God to bring that new season, I think that that's the common denominator of all campuses right now to ask how you impart that, you decide. You're there. But for here, for now, for my part, let's just do this. So I'll put it on you. Do you have enough faith to believe that God wants to do this in your marriage? It's not the admission of a bad marriage. In fact, I would say to you, it's more the admission of two people who actually get it. So if you're married, if you're married, and you say, A, I want a vision for my marriage, and I want God's new season for my marriage. I want you just to raise your hand right now, if that's you. So I'm going to use, use your response as the place of God touching you in faith. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, so every hand, keep them there for a moment. Lord, let this be, every hand that goes up, the admission of every person who says, God I want to receive vision. Church, it's not saying I don't have vision. It's God imparting new vision to you right now. 
May God give you a vision so specifically tailored for you that it gives you a purpose and a plan when you leave here today. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm asking right now that that vision absolutely only be possible through the intertwining of the Holy Spirit in you. I hope that God gives you such a big vision right now for what it could be like and what he wants to do and the joy that he has for you, the hope that he has for you, the life that he has for you, that you, you recognize you can't go out here and make the vision happen. God has to be involved in it being possible in your life. Every man, every woman who says, I need God's vision for my marriage, I pray that God imparts it right now. When we haven't got wisdom, we can ask him and he gives it. Don't doubt. Do you believe that God wants to do that for you right now? God impart in part. For every marriage right now, and I will include those who are not married, you're headed that direction. Someday you hope to be married. So whether you're married or whether you're not, here's what I'm going to pray for you. Do you need that new season to happen? This is not an admission that the season you're in right now is a bad season, although maybe you are there. But here's what we're going, it doesn't change your past, it alters your future. I'm praying towards the future. Do you want, if, if what I'm saying is true, and there really is a prophetic word that God wants to do a new thing, do you want to move into that season with him? Do you want to stay out in front? Do you want to respond? If you're saying yes to that, here's where I'm just going to pray for you. Father, I pronounce this word prophetically. Here's the preacher is to say it out loud so that ears hear it. It's a new season. It's a new time. God makes all things new. Only God can do that. He sets up the days. He sets up the years. He sets up the seasons. He makes it happen in time. I pronounce a new season on you, on your life, on your marriage, on all that God's put into your hands. I pronounce a new season with your children your children's children. I pray that God brings a season right now of new life and of new joy, of new expectation, of prosperity. I pray that you grow and prosper in every area of your life. Don't just hear the word money. Prospering, true biblical prosperity is that you are healthy, you are growing, you are sound, you're at peace, and everything around you operates in that peace. And that's what I'm pronouncing on your life right now. I ask that God seal this and do this, and I pray it in the only name under heaven by which it's even possible. You know his name? It's Jesus, that's right. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we'll give the rest of our service then to connecting with God, to allowing him to make uh, the rest of this word even possible uh, as our worship pastors will come and close us out. Let's give heed to that. Use communion, everything else that you need. We'll go ahead and let's just stand to our feet right now. Enjoy this time. <laughs>